a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah Health. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Saturday. A presentation of KSL Sports. Every Saturday, all year long. BYU Sports Talk by Cougar Fans. For Cougar Fans. It's Cougar Sports Saturday. Here are your hosts, Mitch Harper and Matt Maimonte. Your legacy home of BYU Sports. KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Good afternoon, Cougar Nation, coming to you live from Palo Alto, California, the site of BYU versus Stanford, a regular season finale, as the Cougars look to get their first win all-time against the Stanford Cardinal, 0-2. Last time these two teams met was in 2004, and the Cougars will look to close out that regular season in 2022 with a win over the Stanford team. I'm your BYU insider, Mitch Harper. Joined, as always, by my co-host, Matt Biamonte. We'll get you ready for BYU and Stanford, which tonight it kicks off at 9 p.m. Mountain Time. So make sure to get the the afternoon nap, potentially. Maybe you still got a little bit of a hangover from all that turkey and the turkey sandwiches yesterday on Black Friday. Get that nap in because it's going to be a late one here on the farm, 9 p.m. kick, and we'll break down the game. We'll also get in some BYU basketball talk as the Cougars completed a three-day, three-game stretch at the Battle for Atlantis. We'll hit on that. You'll also hear from BYU passing game coordinator Fessy Sutake. Matt caught up with him earlier in the week. And also BYU quarterback Jaron Hall. I spoke with Jaron earlier this week on Unrivaled. We'll play that interview as well coming up on the show. But again, BYU and Stanford kicks off tonight at 9 o'clock, and that's where we start things off here in the leadoff. The leadoff. A look at the stories making headlines right now. It's time for the leadoff on Cougar Sports Saturday. BYU. BYU in- oh, Mitch, sorry. This is what happens when we do shows uh, uh, for one person in California and one in Utah, but BYU and Stanford later tonight. Uh, the final regular season game, Mitch, uh, for a football team that they didn't meet expectations, uh, b- but... Still an opportunity to beat a Pac-12 team. You know how special that is 
for BYU fans to get that win. And Maybe we start with this. What are some of the storylines that interest you in this final game of the year? This is a big game. I think that BYU has a chance here to make a statement with this game. Uh, you got to always get a chance to play a Pac-12 team. you got to capitalize on that opportunity. And BYU, let's see if the improvement that we've seen in the month of November is actually valid. If it's just simply a byproduct of playing a group of five team against Boise State or playing an FCS team. Look, BYU defensively is one of the big storylines for me coming into this game. Uh, because Stanford's offense is just not good. And Stanford hasn't been good offensively over the last two seasons. And it's interesting because so many people talk about quarterback Tanner McKee. He's an LDS kid. BYU wanted him. But under his time at Stanford on the farm, they've been terrible offensively. And I'm curious to see if BYU's defense makes a terrible Stanford offense look competent and look uh, like they're they're capable of something. So that's a storyline to me. I also think that this game for BYU is that I want to see, you know, how, how dialed in they are. I get the sense, Matt, from this week of practice that BYU was very dialed in and focused. I think they've bought into some of the storylines potentially of of Kalani saying, hey, this is a chance to get the, a win over Stanford. It's the only program in the Pac-12 conference that BYU has never defeated. I think BYU's kind of bought into that. And also, Stanford is a program that's always been a thorn in BYU's side when it comes to the athletic department as a whole in terms of recruiting. There's this kind of elitist attitude with Stanford. It'd be a nice win for BYU to close out the season on a high note and then head into the postseason with this win. I think this is an important game because I think any of the momentum that you built this month goes out the window if you lose the Stanford team that, honestly, they have nothing at stake. They are in a tough spot right now, as David Shaw noted earlier in yeah, the well, week. I don't think BYU has anything at stake either. I, I think for, for BYU football, from my perspective, Mitch... They absolutely do. Oh, no, they don't. They're going to the, Whether they win or lose, they're going to the same bowl game. This season ended against East Carolina, in my opinion. This team had high expectations. They did not meet those expectations. And now I'm just going to sit back and enjoy the game. Expectations uh, by who, though? Oh, by by everybody, Mitch. This this team had so many returning, so much returning talent. This was supposed to be a double digit win team. I I, I predicted they go eleven and one, and I'm not saying uh you know I'm on the end all be all here, but they this, the planets have rarely aligned for BYU football like they did before the season began. Returning coaching staff, returning quarterback, returning skill, returning defenders, so much returning talent, and they don't take advantage of that. And, and next year, there's not going to be nearly as much uh, returning talent. We saw that uh, Blake Freeland and Puka Nakua have accepted invitations to the Senior Bowl. So there's going to be a lot of new next year. And you have this much coming back, especially at a place with BYU that has the RMs. And, and just the roster juggling is, is harder at BYU than anywhere else. The expectations were high. They did not meet those. And that's, that's been disappointing. I'm not going to lie. It's been disappointing. And so now, going into this game where there's nothing on the line, whether you win or lose, you're going to the same bowl destination. I'm just going to sit back and enjoy the game. I want to watch Jaron Hall, who I believe this will be his last regular season game at BYU. Same for Puka Nakua. Same for a lot of guys. I'm just going to sit back and enjoy watching these great players who have done a lot for BYU. So, uh, But win or lose, I'm not going to lose any sleep if they lose to Stanford because uh, I already lost that sleep earlier in the season. <laughs> I think if they lost tonight, though, 
it would still leave the opportunity or the potential for BYU to have a losing season because then you factor in the bowl game. You guarantee a winning season tonight. And I think that's something that's that makes this important uh, tonight because no matter what, you don't never want to have uh, a losing season anytime, especially when you're going into the Big 12 Conference. you got to have a little bit of momentum. And I think still Stanford's got talent. Uh, you know, you look at some of their individual personnel. They've got some quality players at Stanford, and you look at how they recruit. It's still been a program that uh, will, will pose some matchup problems for BYU at times. And I think if BYU can get this win, they should win this game. They're the favorite in this one. Uh, but I just think this would this is a quality matchup uh, for two programs that, in terms of school wise, there's no similarities at all be- between. Stanford academics and their liberal views and BYU as a conservative school. But uh, as far as programs and how they construct rosters, there is some crossover. And I, I find that fascinating with this game, too. But I would say, too, going back to the point about this season, I feel like how this year has played out, I'm kind of appreciating uh, more of how difficult this schedule was for BYU. And I kind of look back and I go, you know what? BYU is a flawed football team in a lot of areas from the coaching side and then also some personnel spots. And I think, you know, if they go 7-5, and 8-5, and five, I can kind of appreciate that. I, I struggle with it a little bit because Jaron Hall is a spectacular quarterback and you should win more ball games when you got a senior QB. But you go down the schedule, Utah State's going to a bowl. Wyoming's going to a bowl. The only team really that was just downright awful that BYU played this season was USF, and they crushed that team. And maybe Stanford is that next in line that is downright awful in terms of record and nothing on the line. But this has become one of the tougher schedules in BYU football history. It's a top 35 strength of schedule uh, by Sager in ratings. And, uh, you know, if they can go 7-5, 8-5 this year, that's, that's pretty impressive. By BYU standards of all time, BYU great teams typically don't put together eight plus wins against really good schedules. They do when it's weak schedules, and I can, I can kind of appreciate that because still BYU's a, a limited program in terms of resources compared to a lot of the Power 5 programs they try to face. But they still should have beat East Carolina. And, and New, Mexico, New Mexico State is beating Liberty by 28 points in the third quarter. I mean, yes, I, I, I don't disagree. This has been a very good schedule with a lot of winning teams on there. But maybe outside of Oregon, I don't think there's a great team on the schedule, there's good teams, and they weren't able to win some of those close games. But if you're going to be a, a good football team and have a great year, you can't go eight and five, even if the schedule's good. You got you got to win double digit games, and they didn't do so. And they had the talent to do it. I, I love that point about Jaron Hall and Mitch. Jaron Hall is a great BYU quarterback. He's making a case to be maybe the best independent era quarterback that BYU had with some of the the performances and wins that he has put up these past two years. You, and and you're not able to have a great year with that kind of production throwing Puka and so it's you know it, it's been a, a a memorable football year in that you've had some great moments but in terms of wins and losses it was a disappointing year and whatever happens tonight at Stanford is not going to change that I guess maybe what I, I I'm kind of looking at Matt is that I feel like coming into the season we knew the defense was flawed we were never buying into this defense throughout True. spring ball and fall camp and. Now, I didn't think it was going to be a huge step back like it was in October. Right. But, you know, I, I think – I just feel like I, I feel like this is kind of what maybe we, what we should have been the predictions. I think we just naturally looked at Jaron Hall is elite. This team has so much experience, and that experience alone will lend itself to a 10-win season. But 
I do think there's been a step up in some of these group of five teams, the level of play from them, into where it's made it a, a week in, week out grind for this BYU team. Now, I feel like this BYU squad's pretty fresh, all things considered, coming into this game. As far as the injury front goes, you know, Braden Kime and Campbell Barrington, two backup offensive linemen, they're out for the season. But by all accounts, they're pretty healthy. You know, Peyton Wilgar, he's not expected, and he's been, you know, he walks around the, the football facility, not at practice. He's, like, with his wife and kid, and it's like, oh, he's – He's not practicing right now. Like, oh, he's not even around the team. That's BYU's captain. What's that all about? But, um, you know, it, it's – but by all accounts, though, they're pretty healthy. So I, I'm expected to see, you know, what kind of a, a relatively healthy BYU team against a Pac-12 squad, what does that look like? And because I, I do think that Boise game was a lot of progress from the defensive side. Now, look, after this season, Matt, after that bowl game, heck, after – to me, I'd start making changes next week if I'm Kalani Satake. I, I would maybe consider things after the Arkansas game, but there's got to be some changes to the coaching staff. That needs to happen. But navigating all these ups and downs, I, I can kind of appreciate this moment, a weird late-night game at the end of the season, and I, I kind of find some intrigue to what this team can do and rise to the occasion and beat a, a Stanford program that uh, you know just uh, has always been uh, a program that gives – BYU some fits on the recruiting trail, so they can have a little bit of a feather in their cap against Stanford for once. We'll have coverage uh, all day long on KSL Sports for BYU and Stanford. Kick at 9 p.m., and uh, you can listen to the pregame starting at 7 p.m. right here on KSL News Radio. We'll take the break here on Cougar Sports Saturday. Much more to go. We'll have Fessy Satake in about 45 minutes from now to preview that Stanford matchup. BYU basketball get, just got back from the Bahamas. Beautiful place that they stayed at, by the way. That place is phenomenal. And they had a crazy comeback win in their last match against Dayton. We'll react to that and uh, just get you caught up on what's going on in the world of BYU basketball. We'll do that next here. Cougar Sports Saturday all afternoon long here. Stay with us on KSL News Radio. Welcome back in to Cougar Sports Saturday, live from Palo Alto, California. I'm not I'm never sure. Maybe Matt can fill me in, Mitch Harper, Matt Biamonte here. Matt is our resident Bay Area expert. Oh yeah. Uh, I feel I feel like I'm out of place being here and you're not. Is it Stanford or is it Palo Alto? I the AP style book says Stanford, but I've always known it as Stanford is Stanford is not a town. Stanford is just the university. So you are the game is being played in Palo Alto. That's where that's where Stanford is. So I would say Palo Alto personally, and it's yeah, it's, it's a, a beautiful little town. Actually, it's it's incredible it there. It really is. I I'm staying here at this Marriott Residence Inn. There were some Cougar fans down in the lobby with some of the the morning breakfast. I was chatting it up with them, and let me just tell you this, Cougar fans are going to overtake this stadium. Yes. And even if it's just even if it's just 10,000 BYU fans, even if it's just 8,000 BYU fans, 5,000 BYU fans, they are going to overtake this stadium. On my plane ride in yesterday, there was actually some BYU football players that are gray shirting this year. Micah Kafusi, Ace Kafusi, Kyle Vassell, uh, they were on the plane ride coming into uh, this game, so they're, they're stopping in to, to watch the game. But, yeah, BYU fans are going to show up. In strong numbers. There was a nice contingent of BYU fans, too, in the Bahamas, Matt. Best beach I've ever been to, by the way, right outside Atlantis. It's incredible. 
So you're the Bay Area expert. You're the Hawaii expert. You're the Bahamas expert. What, like, tropical, beautiful paradise are you not an expert of, Matt? I, I am an expert of those places because I got married late, Mitch. I had a lot yes. of single travel time. But, uh, gosh, that, Atlantis, that was such a cool venue. It was a bummer that BYU uh, wasn't able to show as well as we would have liked them to. But, uh, man, uh, you got to love that second-half performance against Dayton, though, Mitch. Oh, I did. And so I'm, I get off the plane ride in uh, San Francisco, SFO. First time I've actually flown into San Francisco, by the way. SFO and is not ideal. Agree? No. A horrible I airport. I, <laughs> I kind of got confused with the rental car signage, and I'm like, where do I go? And I felt so out of place. Anyway, uh, but I get in the car, and uh, Mark Durant, our good friend, and Tyson Jackson, another good friend, uh, we are we listen to them on the uh, the call, and it's thirty two to nine. I, I seriously get into the car when it's thirty two to nine, <laughs> and I'm thinking, wow, and th- this is just not going well for BYU. And then I you know driving to my hotel, and and they're chipping away at this thing. And Trey Stewart has a has a nice knockdown shot, and they just keep chicken chipping away. And and then next thing you know, it's second half. I settle and watch the game, and BYU just dominated Dayton, uh, suffocated them defensively. Dayton had two players, starting guards, go down with injury. But still, BYU made the necessary shots to get that win, and and then they win in overtime over Dayton. And that was such a important win for this BYU team because had they gone 0-3 out of that tournament, I feel like this, the wheels could have came off uh, on this season already. Uh, that was almost like a season-defining you know, win a little bit early on for this new and young BYU team under Mark Pope. I totally agree. I, I felt like when they had that comeback in overtime, I mean, the comeback really happened before overtime, but they finished it off in overtime. I felt like that team really needed that game. It just felt like, man, they played so well against San Diego State. That one didn't go their way. And then they had the, the loss against USC and Butler. And it just felt like, man, they needed a breakthrough win to kind of get the mojo back. And I, lo- I just loved, especially in overtime, seeing – Jackson Robinson hitting some big shots. Dallin Hall continues to play well. And I like that Dallin Hall took 11 shots, too. Because I, I, I felt yeah. like up until that game, maybe he was too passive as the backup point guard. I wanted to see him get more involved sh- uh, shooting the ball, which he did. So that was a really nice game. And it, I think it it ends the season or the, the battle for Atlantis, excuse me, on a high note where you can come back now. The schedule lightens up a little bit, and you can just maybe get some wins and build some confidence. So just to recap, in case our listeners were enjoying their Thanksgiving holiday, and hopefully all of you had a fantastic Thanksgiving, on Wednesday, BYU lost to USC 82-76. to And then on Thanksgiving night, they lost to ba- Butler, who I felt was not a good team. That, that was a bad loss, yeah. and I think BYU knew that was a bad loss. They lost 75-70. to and then they bounce back on Friday, down 32-9. to They take down Dayton, 79-75 to in overtime. And they did it without Spencer Johnson, too, who suffered a knee injury in the Butler game. Unknown in terms of the timeline of how long he's going to be out. They're going to have some more evaluations, I would imagine, maybe today or, or Monday uh, for Spencer Johnson, or potentially tomorrow, as, as they get back from their travels to the Bahamas. But to get that win without Spencer Johnson, who was emerging as the clutch go-to shooter on this team, uh, I think that this there's there's a little bit more fight to this BYU basketball team than 
last year's group. I think last year's team, had they got down to a 23-point hole, they're rolling over and dying. This team actually fought, which I think speaks a little bit to the locker room and to the willingness. This is just kind of a young team that almost doesn't know any better, and they're just filling it out as they go, and it was a nice win for the group. Really nice win, and I thought there was something really interesting that took place in that game. I wonder if you uh, caught the same thing. Dallin Hall plays 30 minutes. That's the same amount of minutes as Rudy Williams, and they showed the court in some moments with Rudy moving off ball, which I felt like really helped Rudy Williams, uh, yeah. maybe even more so than Dallin Hall. To me, it just it feels obvious at this point in the year, Mitch. Dallin Hall is the best point guard you have, and if you're going to unlock the abilities of Rudy Williams, you've got to change his role. Maybe that's sixth man. Maybe that's some off the ball like we saw in the win against Dayton. But I think there's still a lot of shuffling that needs to happen for this team to reach their ceiling, whatever that is. And that might not even be good enough for the NIT. I don't know. But to me, it's becoming clear. Dallin Hall is the point guard. And let's find a role for Rudy Williams that makes him the best player he can be for this team. That's a great point because Rudy, up until that Dayton game, he was a walking turnover. Yep. And the Nickel State game, he was plus one and assisted turnovers. It was tapering off, but man, it's just BYU has this turnover bug where they cough up the basketball a ton. It's not a surprise that oh, the three ball starts knocking down. Oh, the turnovers are low. uh, Are are contained. They suddenly play well and they beat a good team. Like BYU's got talent. Yep. Uh, They're young and inexperienced and they've never played together. Uh, but they got some individual pieces that you can work with, and, and you hope that uh, going into the Big 12 era that they're going to be uh, key pieces. I'm very curious, too, about the future of Dallin Hall because I said coming into the season to you in, in our private offline conversations where I felt like the one question I have about Dallin Hall, can he be a face-of-the-franchise-type player or face-of-the-program-type player in a Big 12 conference? In the WCC, he's an all-WCC conference guy. Heck, he might be good enough to be that this year because it's based on conference play. But in the Big 12, can he lead a Big 12 program? I still have my questions on that. But still, man, the early returns on Dallin Hall, that guy has a work ethic and a drive, and he just seems like, I mean, at some point he's going to hit a mission wall, but he's playing some great basketball early on in his career. And his vision, too. He talked about that at Media Day in the interviews that we had here on Cougar Sports Saturday where – he just feels like he has excellent vision as a point guard. We've seen that. I mean, there's no doubt his ability to take care of the ball and distribute the basketball. I mean, he had five assists against Dayton to only two turnovers. He gets others involved. The offense is is better with Down Hall at the point guard. That, that's just the way that it is. And uh, hopefully sooner rather than later, they can figure out some lineups that unlocks all that potential. we got to get to a break here. News, traffic, and weather coming up on the other side. And then uh, we got to touch on Broadway. Zach, what is happening on the East Coast? We'll get you caught up with the New York J-E-T-S. Jets, Jets, Jets on the other side. Back after this. This is Cougar Sports Saturday. Cougar Sports Saturday. A presentation of KSL Sports. Every Saturday, all year long. BYU Sports Talk by Cougar fans. More Cougar fans. It's Cougar Sports Saturday. Here are your hosts, Mitch Harper and Matt Maiamonte. On your legacy home of BYU Sports. KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. 
final regular season week in college football. It's an eventful one right now in the sport. Michigan up on Ohio State, 24-20. to Man, what happened to the days of a three-yard and a cloud of dust in the Big Ten? It's actually some high scoring midway through the third quarter. How about this, Cougar fans? Matt mentioned it earlier. Liberty, the team that BYU got smoked by, they're losing to New Mexico State, 42 to seven. Tell me you're take tell me you're taking the Auburn job without telling me you're taking the Auburn job. That's Hugh Freeze, the head coach, where reports are surfacing that he has been in talks with the Auburn Tiger Tigers to take their vacant head coach job. But we'll keep eyes on all of the action in college football right now. But we got to shift over to the pro scene, Matt, as former BYU star Zach Wilson. He's been benched. He's no longer. QB1. In fact, he's not even active this weekend for the Jets. He's off the grid completely. He's QB3. What do we make of Zach getting benched with the New York Jets at this juncture of the season? I think it's the wrong move for the Jets just because the Bears' defense is not good. And I I think this would have been a great opportunity for Zach Wilson to play a bad D because say what you want about the Patriots and Bill Belichick. That guy is a great defensive mind, and Zach Wilson is not the only quarterback to struggle against a Bill Belichick defense. And I think if he had really struggled against the Bears, then certainly a benching would have been justified. Because, look, Robert Sala, when he made the announcement midweek, said that, oh, we're doing this for the benefit of Zach. His fundamentals are getting out of whack. We need to help him reset. I just feel like, man... It feels like the Jets are bailing. Even if that's true, I just have a hard time believing this staff, this ownership group, believes in him anymore because you just don't see a lot of number two overall picks, Mitch, especially at the quarterback position, benched before the end of their second year. It's 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 hard to believe, isn't it? It's shocking because four or five weeks ago, Robert Sala was 150% behind Zach Wilson. So to me... This is a move that I I interpret as, did players make a mass movement to Robert Sala where they're like, we don't want to play for this guy anymore? Oh, man. And Robert Sala looks at it and says, well, I'd rather Zach lose his job than I lose my job. Yep. And let's let's call it what it is, too. I mean, the Jets, for whatever reason, we talked in the opening segment about BYU's expectations. The expectations have gotten heightened, uh, have been become heightened for the Jets. They're 6-4. and four. And if they were two and eight, do they make this move? Probably not. I, I don't think they no would way. because it would still be the the process of everything is centered around the QB. And this is a Jets franchise that is desperate uh, to get back to the playoffs and have some sort of relevance uh, in, in that uh, New York market. I mean, they're, they're always a big thing, but uh, to be successful. And that's the thing too is that you know I, I feel like the Jets got a good GM and Joe Douglas. Robert Sala is doing a nice job with that defense. The Jets have an outstanding D. But, you know, when have the Jets ever got it right with quarterbacks? I mean, that's something to keep in mind, too, uh, with all of this. But it, it just comes off, Matt, where, look, Zach, he struggled mightily in that Sunday game against the, the Patriots, and then he lost probably the second game in that postgame press conference by when he was asked, hey, uh, did you, do you feel like you let down the defense with your performance? And he simply said no. That, to me, as someone who's covered Zach, it kind of came off like a guy that uh, maybe had a little bit of a personal axe 
with that individual reporter potentially. Yep. Uh, Connor Hughes, who's been going in on Zach Wilson uh, the last few weeks, and rightfully so. Like Zach has not played well because after that press conference, Zach did have a interview with one of the in-house media, Bob if you will, Bob yeah. Yep. And uh, it sounded like he took a little bit more accountability, but still, in that moment, he it was not a good look for Zach, and it felt like it's it felt like it snowballed on him quite a bit. Zach addressed the media midweek. Here's what Zach Wilson had to say about uh, hitting the bench. We'll get that clip here in just a minute. Uh, I, I thought he he handled it well, Mitch. Uh, all things considered, he said, "Hey, the way that I've been playing, it's." Uh, it, it's not, you know, I would bench myself too. I mean, I'm paraphrasing here for Zach, but man, it just, it just feels like the Jets gave up on him a little bit. And yeah. the thing that I think really kind of bothers me too about the situation, Mitch, is when teams do this, when they try and 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 skip the process. You see this a lot in pro sports. One team in particular that that comes to mind with this is you remember when the Suns had a bunch of little point guards. They had Isaiah Thomas and Goran Dragic, and they had one other yes. guy. And they weren't they weren't supposed to be any good. And then they started to win, and they're like, oh, we're winning. we got to go all in, and they just blew the thing up. And then it took them until they got the number one pick with Aiton and Chris Paul to like kind of rebuild the franchise. When you're a, a losing team and you're trying to build towards being a winning playoff team, you can't just, after one year, because you're, you're beating expectations – then rewrite the narrative. That's what it feels like with the Jets a little bit, where it's like, well, hey, we're winning, so we have to get to the playoffs. And it's like, you weren't projected to go to the playoffs, and your expectations weren't to go to the playoffs. Your expectations were to get better. And you guys have gotten better. And I feel like the Jets changing their expectations mid-year to where now it's playoffs or bust, and they got to win all these games, I think it's going to hurt them in the long run. And, and this is why teams like the Jets just struggle to be good, because you can't you can't just flip the switch and become a different franchise. They still have so many young pieces that they have to develop, including Zach, and now they're they're not going to develop him any for I mean, at least not on the field. They're going to see if they can do it during the week in practice. But I don't see how this is a step forward for Zach Wilson. I just don't. Well, what's more, even more shocking, Matt, is that Zach was listed as a health, healthy, inactive player this weekend. You know, it's one thing to say, okay, he's QB2 and give Mike White the starting QB nod. But if Mike White struggles, well, Zach goes back in. He doesn't have a chance to go in. He's inactive this week. And that, to me, was where you start to think and wonder, are the Jets, as you said, giving up on him? Because if it was just simply, hey, you know, we're going to put you on the bench, but keep working, you know, where you'll get back in there, it doesn't feel like that. And what do the Jets do if Mike White is a dumpster fire against – a bad Bears defense. Do they just go with Joe Flacco? Yeah, they will. I guess. I guess they will. I mean, look, Zach is not immune from blame. He has cost the Jets some games, and they've won some games this year despite of Zach Wilson's play. Like some of his numbers are not good at all. I mean, it's they're worse it's than outside. they're worse than Sam Darnold in through the first twenty yes. games of their careers. That's bad. Yeah, it it hasn't been a, a great start to Zach's career, but I, I think that you wonder if it's just a franchise situation, kind of like, I hate to bring up the comparison, but it's it's BYU show we're on here, but Steve Young, yep. you know, where Steve Young was with a terrible franchise back in the day, the, the creamsicle Buccaneers, 
and he gets away from that dumpster fire, and then he goes to the 49ers, and he's a backup, but uh, he learned under Joe Montana and Bill Walsh, and, and then he became a Super Bowl champion, and you wonder if maybe that's the career arc, potentially, if, he can, if Zach can get away from an awful franchise in the Jets, uh, maybe it changes differently. I think I think that was always the fear, Matt, for BYU fans, was that they're, th- they're pumped for Zach to be the number two pick, but they're like, uh, why the Jets? Why has it got to be the Jets? Because the Jets haven't had a good quarterback since Joe freaking Namath. Like, it's been so long since the Jets have had a reliable QB1, and maybe it feels like the uh, Zach's going to be churned out and spit out uh, – once again, by that New York market. The Steve Young example, I'm so glad you brought that up because it, it's. I think it's the perfect example for what Zach needs to materialize going forward. And, and before we get to this, I want to get your thoughts on, on if he should stay or go. I mean, it's not totally up to him. I mean, if the Jets let him go, then he's going to go. But I just love that example because he went to the 49ers knowing that he wasn't going to play, but that he was going to sit under eight, uh, the best football mind in the game at that time. Bill Walsh was the best offensive mind in football in the 80s and early 90s. And, and he, he, he knew, leaving Tampa Bay, I'm not going to play, but I'm going to go learn from Bill Walsh, the master of the West Coast offense. And I don't know if you've read his autobiography book, which is phenomenal, but he really struggled with that because he wanted to play. And Steve Young has been on the record many times saying that he struggles with anxiety and it was really hard for him not to play football. But he waited his turn and became a better football player. So if it is over for the for Zach and the Jets, and I hope that it is, Mitch, honestly, I really do. Because like you, I just don't believe that the Jets uh, have the stability to help someone become a better football player at the quarterback position. They ran off Mark Sanchez after he had he they had a double digit win season. He led them deep into the playoffs and then they, they ran him out of town. So I I just don't think the Jets is the place for him. For me, I would love to see him leave. And who knows if they're going to do it. That's pretty crazy to maybe release a second overall pick after two years. I have a hard time believing that. But if they let him go, I want him to go learn from a good offensive mind. So, like, a te- like if the Niners get rid of Jimmy G after this year, do you go there and battle with Trey Lance and maybe be the next 49ers quarterback? Because, you know, the Niners loved him in the draft yeah. process. They just couldn't get up to get him. And even if you sit behind Trey Lance, maybe you go and do that. Or – the Chiefs, do you go learn from Andy Reid? And you know, and you may not play for a year or two, but you'll sit behind Mahomes and Andy Reid. I just those are some of the places I'd love to see him go. And even one other place that I might love to see him be a part of next year. And you could stay in the same stadium. The Giants. And I know what you're thinking. The Giants are not very good. They're having a good year this year, but they haven't been very stable either. Their new head coach is an offensive genius. He fixed Josh Allen, Mitch. Josh Allen is who he is because of Brian Dable. We know that they don't love Daniel Jones. Maybe you could go in there and battle with him. I, I just I don't want to see him stay in New York. That's that's how I feel. Do you feel the same way? I'm with you. I, I want Zach to to get a new start. I mean, think about this too, Matt. Last year when Mike White had some games where he, he played pretty well and led the Jets to some victories, it felt like Jets fans were ready to turn on Zach then. I mean, that, that is just the most volatile franchise. I'm not going to say I know Jets fandom, the Jets franchise. I don't. But I just kind of based off, and I, and I know social media is not real, but it's the lens that we get. And based off of social media, that fan base is insane. 
They are nuts. They're never satisfied. Like nope. one week, they're in love with Zach, and they're melting down that, oh, no, he got hurt. And now it's like, get rid of him. Move <laughs> on from him. I'm just like, you people are never satisfied, and nope. you're all just six and four, and you could completely bottom out and still not make the playoffs with Mike White or Joe Flacco. I don't get it. It's just uh, I would love to see Zach in a new spot. Uh, but at the same time, I want to see him get another crack at uh, just – what he can do this season, but it doesn't feel like that path is there if he's going to be a, a healthy scratch. It's only there if they miss the playoffs, and there's like two games to go, and they're eliminated. Then they'll throw him back yeah. out there, but he's not going to play again if they're still battling for a playoff spot, which is, he's only lost to the Patriots, Mitch. He's only <laughs> no. lost to the Patriots this year, and he's benched. It's hard to believe. Shocking. but Yeah, and remember when uh, Sala said, we're going we're gonna to lift you up. This isn't going to be a place that, that detracts. We're going to lift you up. Not anymore. <laughs> oh, how it quickly changes in that uh, NFL world. We got to take a timeout. On the other side, we'll continue to talk some more BYU football as the Cougars get ready to take on Stanford. We're live in Palo Alto. It's Cougar Sports Saturday, powered by KSL Sport. Welcome back into Cougar Sports Saturday, live here on. KSL News Radio, KSL News Time, 12.51 p.m. BYU football kicking off tonight, the regular season finale. It's a 9 p.m. kickoff. It's, by my count, uh, I was looking back in the archives, the second latest mainland game that BYU has had in the Independence era. The Cougars had a 9.15 kick against San Jose State. Back in 2015, that was a game that BYU won 17-16. to uh, So another Bay Area game, another late-night kick for BYU as they close out the regular season tonight against the Stanford Cardinal. And, Matt, this is a game where, you know, as we talked about what's at stake, that can be in question. But it's another opportunity, though, for BYU to get another win. And Kalani Satake sees that opportunity in front of him against the Stanford team. A lot of talent, seeing on film, well-coached team. I mean, Coach Shaw is one of the best out there, so this is uh, their last game, and, and they're going to find a lot of motivation and strength in winning one for their team and their seniors as well. So looking forward to the matchup, and we know it's going to be a tough game, but excited that we get to empty the tank and do this thing the right way and make, make sure we, we show up at our best in all three phases this weekend and looking forward to that game. That was Kalani Satake talking about the matchup against Stanford, which I – I keep going back to something you said at the beginning of the show, Mitch, and I think it's a good point, which is if you're able to beat Stanford, you guarantee a winning season. And then, look, BYU is not going to play a great opponent in the bowl game. Unfortunately, in the Kalani era, they haven't always played their best against some of these inferior (laughs) teams. But they will have a game against a team that they should beat. And if you go 8-4 and and you finish the year on a four-game winning streak, that is some good momentum going into the Big 12 because – the middle of October just felt like, oh my gosh, all momentum is gone. Recruiting's dipping. Going to this is a disaster. Going to the Big Twelve. Well, I think that could be rewritten if they do win their next two football games. I think so too, and I think that you know it would just be a, show a lot of fight from this BYU team that uh, they'd want to bounce back. And you know, I will say it, it blows me away, Matt, that BYU they they always have that. Uh, that fight in them. You saw it yesterday in basketball with uh, the Dayton basketball game in in the battle for Atlantis. And you see it with football in that Boise state game, you know, even in the East Carolina loss and the Boise win, 
BYU has shown a lot more fight than I was expecting after, you know, they got on that three, four-game losing streak. And, and that's been, you know, something I will honestly remember about this team. However it ends up shaking out, I, I, I know it's an underperforming season. I get that. I'm not going to excuse that and do moral victories, but I have been impressed with their willingness to keep battling because so many in college football, I think many programs would just say they're done, they're moving on, but – there's a lot of fight in these BYU players, and that's something that has kind of just been in the DNA of BYU football and BYU sports, for that matter, for so long. And that's kind of shown itself in this in, in this season. And I'm curious to see how you know BYU's defense plays tonight. And you know that Tanner McKee, when he you know was going through the recruiting process in the 2018 recruiting cycle. Man, I thought he was going to be just uh, an all-world talent. I still think he's going to be an NFL quarterback. He struggled. Maybe it's a byproduct of the system he's in. Who knows? Uh, if he goes in the transfer portal after this year, or I would love to see BYU pounce and get that guy. Oh, yeah. But, uh, you know, he was he's an LDS kid. He doesn't practice or do anything on Sundays. You just thought, that's the perfect guy to go to BYU. I remember that Aaron Roderick and Jeff Grimes – after they got hired, I think one of their first tasks that they they had was to make a late push to sway Tanner McKee to sign with BYU, and you know he listened to that and he was kind of you know impressed I think with with Aaron Roderick, but and that's I think where there was some hope that maybe after his mission he comes to BYU, but um, I gotta imagine you know if he's not happy on the farm, um, you know maybe if, if if he did enter that portal after this year, and again that's just speculation, you know it's nothing's happened. Uh, you would have to wonder if BYU could be a spot. I, I would imagine BYU would make him priority number one because Stanford is, an, is a program that this could be David Shaw's last game. You know, he's one of the highest paid coaches in college football, and the return on investment has been poor. But he was uh, a guy this week in his press conference that did not sound like an individual that's going to be fired. In fact, he was talking about how now they're going to be more active in the transfer portal. Stanford's been very leery of, of getting portal additions. They're going to be more receptive to adding mid-year enrollees. So sounds like he might be you know staying in that post after this season. Maybe. We'll see. Uh, but So there, there's some interesting kind of deep-cut storylines oh, to this yeah. game that have some interesting tentacles, if you will. Totally. Uh, the Tanner McKee one is so interesting. I, I know a lot of people are saying he's off to the league. I just don't see how he would be a a high enough draft pick to leave after this year, after what he's right. done. And it, it, I, it, I don't think it has anything to do with his talent. I think he's got great talent. He's got an NFL body. He's got an NFL arm. He's probably lacking some of the current NFL mobility. But, uh, you know, 15 years ago, maybe he's like a top, you know, two-round pick just because of the size and arm strength. But I just don't see how – with his body of work up to this point, he's a top four-round quarterback. And so I, I'm with you. It, man, if that guy hits the portal, you should move heaven and earth to get this dude just because of the talent and and the connections to, to BYU as well. I mean, he, you know, he, there's a lot of family connections to BYU as well. So and he's a married man now. You know, if it's just a one-year stop, who cares? It, It'll be so interesting to see what a lot of these dudes do. Because I think BOU's got some players, too, that might be in a similar position where you're wondering, are they going to stay? Are they going to hit the portal? What do they do? Uh, the the offseason is going to be very interesting. It's coming up in, like, what, a week? Like a, a week or two weeks? There's going to be chaos in college football. It's going to be fun to see. 
next week, next Saturday, will be Championship Saturday in college football. And then that following Monday, so that would be, let's see here, December 5th. That will be when the transfer portal opens. And let me tell you, that is going to be wild and (laughs) crazy over those six weeks. And Cougar fans, just brace yourselves. There will probably be BYU guys that maybe are, are names that you know. That will be in that portal, I imagine. I mean, I think that's going to happen after a year where guys underperform and the team underperforms. That's expected to happen. Yeah. But long-term, BYU, I think, will be okay. And I think they'll find a way to you know, get some key pieces like whoever it may be out of that transfer portal. we got to take a timeout, though. We're live from the Palo Alto host of the Stanford-BYU game tonight at 9 o'clock. We'll continue to talk BYU football with Fessy Satake. Matt caught up with the assistant Uh, passing game coordinator, and you'll hear that interview next here on Cougar Sports Saturday. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.